If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, Interrupting all programs. Jeff Cameron Show 93.3, Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Happy Libations Friday, everybody. Little Lucy Goosey from the Hizzy. Nice. Oh, a little extra. You dabber there on the end. I'm Jeff. That's Tom. Thanks for listening, everybody. Let's see what happens this weekend with Florida State, obviously, as uh, big series in baseball, Tom. Plus, we're all waiting to find out what the deal is with the transfer portal stuff. Today's show was recorded just before we came on the air. So, like, right up until the moment we were coming on, we were recording this show. So it's not that dated. It's like an hour dated. It's an hour. So, you know, you don't have to roll your eyes. You stay right here with us. You like and you subscribe and you share. You do all that good stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious about both the baseball team. Curious to see uh, what happens with the transfer portal. Uh, next week will be a busy week. I, I'm excited about that, too, uh, with an opportunity to see who Florida State targets uh, once all the names are available, and uh, obviously there are there are needs to fill, and uh, I think we're going to be aggressively pursuing some some kids that uh, maybe fit that role. Yeah, one change I think that's coming to the world of the transfer portal is that there are going to be more defined terms of what the window is going to be this yeah. time. You know, the calendar year of 2023 is going to be more more refined that way, and I think in a way, it's not going to be covered like signing day is or the old signing day used to be. But for every team site, they're going to have a master list. I mean, you know, or every network site like Rivals is going to put together a master list of here is the groceries that you can, here are the ingredients that you can bring to your program. The, you know, definitive offensive line. There's like 75 names. All right, good. Let me see. I like this guy. I'm like, ooh, look at that site. Right, 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 right. It's going to be its own little holiday thing. Uh, this year, it's it's kind of, kind of, sort of. Uh, but we'll see on Monday and Tuesday as, as we get to look at the breadth of who's available uh, on Warchant.com and Warchant TV. We'll be talking about it, and then there are going to be kids that we get attached to that we've never seen play it down because their pro football focus grade says they're good or because you know there's a scout out there who you've never heard of before says that's a good player. We're going to go through that in the next month. It's going to be a fun ride. 
Draft took place last night. We watched it at Bumpa's Local 349. Thanks to everybody who came out, and thanks to Bumpa's. Trayvon Walker goes number one to the Jags. Safe pick for the Jags there. Good football player. We assume he'll be a good football player for them. Aiden Hutchinson goes number two. Uh, of course, he played his college ball at Michigan. Detroit was selecting. Seems to make sense. They take him at two. Then it's Derek Stingley Jr., Sauce Gardner, and Kayvon Thibodeau. Our own Jermaine Johnson had to wait a little while, unfortunately, for him. But I think he may have ended up in a pretty cool situation. For starters, if you're a young man, uh, a professional athlete, good-looking young man, and you get to go to the city of New York as you are freshly minted a millionaire, that doesn't suck. That doesn't suck. So good on you to Jermaine Johnson. But now for the football. The Jets look like they have some things going for them. We talked about it last hour. I think that this could turn out to be much better than if you had just said to me before the draft, hey, man, Jermaine Johnson, our boy is going to go to the Jets. After seeing their draft last night, knowing what they already have on the roster, what's still to come today and tomorrow, obviously, as we go through the the, the overall draft, I don't know, man. I, I think this could be, end up okay four years from now for him. It's a nice way to end the story to this point because I remember when um, my first assignment with Warchan, I was up at Charlotte covering ACC kickoff, and Jermaine Johnson was one of the players that was up there for interviews. And, you know, the story was known, but still the, the local beat has to ask him some of those same questions about him being at last chance you yeah. and being a JUCO player. And he said, I don't even know where I was. Like, I'm from Minnesota, but this is the middle of nowhere. Like, I'm in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. So to go from the middle of nowhere to Athens – to Tallahassee, and then up the coast to New York, that's pretty cool because you're in the middle of everything. You're not in the middle of nowhere. You're in the middle of everything. You might play your games in Jersey, but you can go into the city and do whatever the hell you want. Go catch a show. Go watch the, some of the most amazing sporting events in the world or best concerts in the world. It's just kind of cool how life is for some people, and, and we're very lucky ourselves. But in five years' time, he's from a podunk town that, uh, you know, they might have like a Walmart and now there he is in the yeah. metropolis in, in the Broadway. Country. It's really cool. Also, it's a reminder, and I think a lot of people know this, but he's a very specific reminder of how sometimes, just depending on where you're from or your maturity level, which is constantly changing, um, how they don't always marry uh, to produce uh, the right result coming out of high school. And that a short amount of time later, you can find out so many things about a guy that if you had just judged a book by its cover, meaning how did a player end up at a Juco to begin with? Meaning how does this guy at last chance you, how, you know, all of that, right? Well, then you meet him and you talk to him and you think, well, he's really smart. He's very charismatic. He's got great leadership qualities. How did he end up there? Like, you're asking yourself that, right? I asked that very question to Jermaine Johnson the first time I met him because I was struck by his intelligence. I was struck. Not, not that I don't think – I'm not one of these guys that don't think athletes can be smart. I, most of them are a lot smarter than people realize. What I'm, what I'm saying is, given that he came from a JUCO, given that he was on Last Chance you given you know all that, I was like, how did he end up at a JUCO? And he said, well, I just didn't like school. I just – I didn't care. I didn't care when I was in school. I hated it, and I didn't take tests well because I didn't care to study, and I just guessed. Like, what? <laughs> I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he's like, yeah. Yeah, I did whatever I needed to do to stay eligible, but I really didn't try. I didn't care. I, I knew I was smart. I just didn't care. That's interesting, right? And it's, it's, 
it goes to show you that, you know, a lot of times we think you're getting a, Let's say you get a guy from a, ju- uh, a Juco. Uh, I know we got him from Georgia, but I'm saying, like, let's say you're, you know, when Florida State's brought in plenty of Juco's, you're always saying, understandably so, uh, he's at a Juco for a reason. I'm a little concerned. You know, a lot of times you have reason to be concerned, but not everybody's like that. And Jermaine Johnson going in the first round is a testament to due diligence, hard work, and a change and shift in attitude where he took on the responsibilities that he had shirked early on for God knows what reasons. I don't, I don't know what his childhood was like. I'm not trying to besmirch him or his family or anything like that. I'm just saying, who knows why he didn't get the guidance he needed when he was in high school to bother to try. <laughs> and look at this. So this is uh, Austin's story on Warchant.com. But when I was scrolling through it today, I just I had to pause at this point, and you'll see it. Two stars. I mean, listen. I'm not the guy who's like, give me all the three stars who try hard because you're going right. to be a person. No, no, stars matter. They matter greatly. But sometimes the services just straight whiff or they don't actually look at your film. A two-star in Rivals from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. It's just unbelievable to think that he goes from that position to where he is now. But it just it puts it all in perspective for me. I had I was reading the story of the quotes from Sala and Jermaine Johnson, and I, and I encourage you, to head to warchant.com and read that story. But I just had to stop at that graphic because by the time he was a Juco prospect and they updated his rating in 2019, look at that. There's two more stars that appear up. Yeah, you think? That dude was immediately somebody that you picked out in spring practice. The first day, the first day that we saw spring practice the year he was on campus, like, oh my God, if that guy can play anything close to the way he looks, then he's going to be a good player for us. Well, he played better than he looked on the field just by getting off the bus or walking onto the practice fields. He was a force. He'll be tough to replace, but um, it's just, again, I have a hard time not feeling that big perspective thing for him today because he was motivated as hell. Maybe not in high school, but he figured it out afterwards that this is what I need to do, and he attacked that goal and he achieved the goal. Yeah, and good job to the coaching staff for getting all that out of him as well, recognizing – now, listen – he is a self-starter. He is a guy who put in the time. All of those things are true. But this coaching staff became very relatable to him. Uh, he's a guy that talked about how Norvell told him not what he wanted to hear, but what he needed to hear, um, and that he challenged him. So it's clear that Norvell and his staff, they've been weak in some areas, obviously, but they've been strong in some areas. And one of them is... I think an unwavering uh, and and really unapologetic way in which they evaluate and talk to transfer portal candidates. They they never seem to do the easy thing, which is to tell a kid who is a is is a player at a position of great need, let's say for us, um, to tell that kid, "Hey, you're going to play. Come on in here. You're going to play." That's not how that conversation goes. It's assumed that if we're reaching out to you that we have a need. So that's a given. But the way Norvell treats that is like, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm calling you for a reason. I mean, this is a transaction. I need you to play good football for me, and I need to win games. So, you know, we get this, and then we can help you get to the next level. But we're holding up our end of the bargain. That's what that shows there. The kid comes in, works real hard, becomes an unquestioned leader, produces, elevates his status, goes in the first round of the draft. It's another win for Florida State, and it's a great win for him. Yeah, it's something that David Hale said yesterday, and it's worth emphasizing because we lament a lot of the things and a lot of the changes that are coming to college sports and have already arrived, and then some. But the transfer portal can work. It can work big time. 
Big time. This, this is a success story. They're not all going to work like this. Most of them won't. In fact, you look at the studies of how many kids enter the portal from all different sports in the first year, and it's thousands and thousands of kids, and about half of them never find another home, which is just unbelievably sad, and it's also dumb. It's a, it's a, it's a dumb decision to make. But for some kids, this a bit, like, what would he have done? He would have had maybe five or six sacks with Georgia this year, won a national title, would have been great. I don't think he would have been the sixth Georgia defensive player to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft this year. There's not enough reps for him. So it can work. It does work at times. And this is one of the, I mean, if you're going to have a book of success stories in the transfer portal, Jermaine Johnson's has to be in the brief history of it at the top of the list. Let's go through the the other, you know, marquee moments of the draft from last night. Obviously, we celebrate Jermaine's success as we talked last hour quite a bit about the draft. Just to touch on it here for those just joining us in hour number two. Uh, only one quarterback was taken. That was Pitt's Kenny Pickett going to the hometown Steelers. Good for him. Uh, I've been on Pitt's campus, and I know just how close it is to Heinz Field, so he doesn't have to do much. Uh, it's, it's a short hop, skip, and a jump for him. Good stuff. Uh, obviously, the trades were a big part of last night's draft. Uh, with Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown uh, being traded to the Cardinals by the Ravens for the 23rd pick. Uh, That angered Lamar Jackson, who was disingenuous with his anger because he knew the trade was coming. And, by the way, Marquise Brown wanted out. Uh, I touched on that in the first hour. But here are the number of trades, and I thought this was fascinating. The Texans traded the number 13th overall pick to the Eagles in exchange for the 15th, 124th, 162nd, and 166th pick. Ravens, I already mentioned Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, uh, and the 100th overall pick to the Cardinals for the 23rd pick, the Titans. A.J. Brown, that was a huge deal, going to the Eagles for picks number 18 and 101. They brought in uh, a a clone in Traylon Burks, uh, a lot of people think, certainly a comp. Uh, The Patriots traded the pick number 21 to the Chiefs for pick uh, 29, 94, and 121. Bills sent pick number 25 and 130 to the Ravens for 23. On down the line, the Buccaneers sent pick number 27 to the Jags for 33, 106, and 180, Tom. So we got three picks out of that deal. Also, circling back really quickly to something pretty funny, the Patriots, for all their success over the years and for the greatness that is Bill Belichick, they really do often screw up the draft. They really find ways to just butcher the draft. And I thought this was a hilarious story um, that came out later on, which is to say that Cole Strange – who went number 29 to the Patriots. Um, A lot of people thought he might be a third-round pick, Tom. There is a funny video you can find of Rams coach Sean McVay. Um, The the Rams liked Cole Strange, and they were thinking about taking him in the third round, Um, and they thought he would be there. And he turned to the camera after Cole Strange went to the Patriots at 29 and went, we thought he might be there at 104. Yeah. And then they started laughing. It looked like they were having a good time at the uh, the war room last night. Too. Well, defending Super Bowl champs, yeah. What's funny is I, I'm like your mom now in terms of I can't stand that guy. Like, I mean, the smug look on his face. Like, Are you kidding? You couldn't score a touchdown on him in the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago. So, right, right, right. right. Well, you know, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just it's amazing how arrogant or, you know, blind you can be to some weaknesses, even though you're great everywhere else. Like, if I'm Bill Belichick five years ago, six years ago, I find a way to get Ozzy out of friggin' Baltimore because of what we talked about last hour, which is they always nail it. Like, what's your name your price, man? We work together in Cleveland. Name your price and run the draft for me because you give me anybody with talent. 
people you've never heard of. I'm going to win eight games, at least, probably ten. I'm going to find a way. It's just crazy that they, with all the picks, remember about four or five years ago, all the stockpiles of picks, you're like, oh, man, Brady and the Patriots are just going to reload. They've got like nine picks, top 50 over the next two drafts, and none of them materialized. It's just crazy how bad they are at it. A lot of projections over the next um, couple of uh, hours as we lead up to, um, not not on this show, but a lot of day two draft projections have the Buccaneers taking Logan Hall. That's the defensive lineman out of Houston. Um, You and I haven't seen a lot of Houston play, but everything you read about Logan Hall is that he is upwardly mobile, mobile on the list of a lot of people drafting today because of a versatility aspect to his game. He can play inside, Tom. He can play outside. I can't, and all Bucks fans will debate this right now, we have a need at that position. We also have a need at linebacker, and N'Kobe Dean is on the board, and the Bucks are interested in N'Kobe Dean. He's one of the linebackers they had circled. Which of the two players do you want? Uh, probably the, uh, the lineman. Um, I, like, I, again, I'm not pissed off with whoever they take. This is a strange, strange year. We always have opinions. We're, we're elated or just dejected the Quentin Nelson year, even though we got Vita in that moment, it didn't feel great. Uh, I like the versatility of the defensive line. If you can have Sue resign, Brady's restructure frees up the money to do that. So you bring him and Vita. You give them rest in a 17-game season, which is really valuable to both players. And then if you've got sub-packages against run-first teams or uh, it's third and long, you can mess around with the front four. I love those options uh, because those things typically work. Um, but I could also you know, be talked into if the Bucks, if I hear N'Kobe Dean's name, I'm not going to say, damn it. I'm going to say, okay. The only thing that I have pause about with N'Kobe Dean is he was told not to run the 40. And the 40 is not the be-all, end-all. But he was told not to run the 40 because apparently his time would be somewhere in the high four sixes to low four sevens. That's alarmingly slow in an era where 270-pound dudes can run better and 300-pound dudes sometimes can run better than a four seven forty. It's a freaky world we live in, and I just wonder if the speed limitation is going to be a limiting factor to Kobe Dean's professional success. But if they took him, I mean, he is clearly football fast. I wouldn't be pissed. So it, it, the answer is about all of the above. I'll take any of them. I have a rule of thumb. I exercised that rule when I was begging us uh, to draft linebacker. Um, you recall, uh, we talked about it with White, and I said, basically, if you are an elite performer at linebacker in the SEC, I, I don't care what your tests are. I don't care if you run a 5.940 and you bench 140 pounds and you have a six-inch vertical because the football games played at the highest level with the greatest depth of talent the country has to offer, the most amount of speed, and the elite level of competitiveness every Saturday. The football games told us that he was an elite linebacker. And N'Kobe Dean played on the best defense we've ever seen possibly in college football and was an unquestioned leader of that defense and made play after play after play and played really fast against the fastest of the fastest. So I just think he can play, man. It's, it's, you know, now if he were coming out of Utah or he were coming out of like, you know, Minnesota or something like that, I would be like, well, man, I don't know. shaky but dude georgia played somebody good every week they did great for a long time 
they did, and his brain will make up for that step. That's what they're telling you, basically, is that that defense is so complex with all the fits and schemes and all the things they're doing that you have to know your P's and Q's. And in the NFL, it's usually about film study to put you and anticipate something more than it's anything else. But I will make the counter-argument, even though I'm good with N'Kobe Dean if they draft him, but I will play devil's advocate for one more argument. He'll never see a front four like that overmatch an offensive line at the NFL level. Yeah, that is that that is the counter. Is that he played behind the world's largest human being that also is fast and crazy and occupies huge space. And but you know what I say? Oh, every very productive linebacker in the NFL is, is clean. There there are no linebacker like Ray Lewis was an elite linebacker. He was clean. Nobody could get out to him because their defensive front was huge. Um, Sarah Gusa and those guys covered everybody up. Nobody ever got to Ray Lewis, so he could run sideline to sideline. I'm not saying Nicobe Dean is Ray Lewis, but all if you think about if you think about Devin White, I mean, look what he has in front of him. When, you know, most of the time he's clean. He's yeah. free to run. Yeah, Peter Bulware for the Ravens helped out Ray Lewis, and then our own yeah. Derek Brooks in Tampa, the front four in Tampa. I mean, there are some guys that we don't even talk about anymore, like a Chidi Ahanatu when he first mm-hmm. came into the NFL. Chidi was excellent with with Sap, you know. Paving the way. Booger McFarland was there oh, as well. Yeah. Greg Spires and, of course, Simeon Rice. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, you need to be clean to make plays. And, again, if they draft him, that's fine. I remember him as a recruit. That was Willie's first year. And mom loved everything about Florida State. Then the Virginia Tech game happened. But he was a recruit that I remember really wanting to have. And I'm starting to get to a place, especially now that we work with Warchant.com, where as you follow the recruiting stories and you start to connect to a kid – you know, even though you might go to a rival or wherever, there's always an eye like, I wonder if the Bucks could get him because it would be kind of cool to have that guy on my team. N'Kobe Dean, that particular recruiting cycle was the player I thought, please God, because linebacker has been an issue here. It still is a quasi issue here. Uh, but yeah, if he's the guy, great. If he's not, whatever. Um, I think that, you know, also you should look at the possibility of a trade. If somebody wants him or any other player like a Malik Willis or whoever that much, Trade back and acquire more assets. You're going to need a lot of help in three or four years with this organization. So the more picks you have, the better. Real quick uh, on the local teams. Uh, obviously, the Jags kind of did the what a lot of people thought they would do in taking Trevon Walker out of Georgia. Uh, fine. I mean, it's hard to quibble with that. Um you know, rarely do we weigh into the extent that we think that somebody is unequivocally going to be a bust for where they're drafted, unless we have strong feelings. Usually they're about quarterbacks. Um, I did raise an eyebrow at the Falcons. If I'm going to pivot to the next sort of local team uh, with Drake London going eighth overall of the receivers that were available all there at that time. Um, Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson were available at that point. I don't understand that pick. Now, he's a big receiver, so maybe down the line we're saying, hey, you pair him with Pitts, and it's a good, you know, it's if you're a small team, you got a problem facing Atlanta. But I was kind of surprised. I felt like a reach. Uh, I felt like somebody you could trade back to 15 or 20 and still go get. Yeah. Yeah. Because where did Olave go? Olave went after, right? The, the Saints yeah. trade was, uh, what is that, four or five spots later? Like, if he's not off the board, then why are you, why are you rushing to pick London? Uh, that was uh, a good pick for New Orleans, sadly. That was a good move by them. Alave went to New Orleans at 11. Basically what happened was after Drake London went, everybody went, oh, here come the receivers because obviously Seattle took it off as a lineman, but then it's the Jets taking Garrett Wilson, another great pick for the Jets, who had to be elated that he was there. 
I think they were probably surprised what Atlanta did. And then New Orleans is like, wait a minute, Chris Olave is still available. All right. So then they, and then Jamison William right after that uh, to Detroit. Now, that's a really good pick for Detroit, by the way. That's kind of the underrated sneaky pick of the night in a way. I'm a huge Williams fan, and I've, t- I've said that a lot. I thought he might be there when Tampa drafted. So for Detroit to get him where he did, that, that was a good pick. Yeah, and to get the hometown kid at two. The graphic for the pick is in couldn't have been faster. For uh, mm-hmm. If you noticed on both television broadcasts, it was like, here's the announcement about Walker, and it's like the pick is in. Like, yep, Boom. there you go. We got our Michigan guy, and then you got a receiver. They're always rebuilding. They're like the U. In, in Detroit, you know, like, except they never had the VHS days. They had Barry Sanders, and that's it. But they're always reloading. But I feel like they had a good draft, and I'd like to see them be good at some point. At some point, I thought last night was a step in the right direction. And if it worked for that crazy-ass coach, that'd be really cool, too, because he's fun to watch. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV on Alibations Friday. Come back. We'll do it some more here in a moment. The Jeff Cameron Show is sponsored by the legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans. Great rates, cutting-edge technology, and transparent communication is the recipe for a five-star mortgage experience at fsuhomeloans.com. Day, we'll sit down with a tasty beverage and we'll watch some more football draft, shall we? And it's never boring to me. By the way, uh, the Bucks didn't get either one of the offensive linemen that we wanted. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M went pretty quick, and right after that, Zion Johnson at 17 went to the Chargers. Um, nice pick there. Uh, that's it. Makes a lot of sense when you have Justin Herbert uh, to to go out and get you an offensive lineman. So uh, well done there. Um, I, I think when we when we're talking about day two, uh, the the high the highlights are going to be the quarterbacks and when do they go? And you know what I think is funny, Tom. You and I have serious doubts about Malik Willis. Now I don't root against Malik Willis. I don't know Malik Willis. I did watch him play. We saw Liberty. We saw the game against Syracuse, etc. He never impressed me. I was never impressed. And so I have to admit that I'm not shocked he fell out of the first round. And According to certain reports this morning, there's a thought that the next quarterback taken will not be Malik Willis. It'll be Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, which I also would not select because I don't think he's any good. But, um, yeah, these quarterbacks, they leave a lot to be desired. But it would be something if you're Malik Willis's camp and Desmond Ritter goes in front of you. That'll hurt your feelings in a hurry. It never made sense. It was akin to the kid out of UCLA whose name I've now officially forgotten that Todd McShay loved the quarterback yes. um, yeah. Brett Hundley there yeah. you go who sucks it, it felt like that with Malik Willis now the one thing I will say because we're getting to a place where he's going to fall far enough that I'll defend him his best throws are evil like they're unbelievably yeah. good throws so you know if you're just if you're talking about a highlight reel his best is freaky good and his speed is also there so he can be a weapon for you that if you're in a transitional phase of your franchise, you might be able to snake eight or nine wins with that guy because he's just a nightmare to match up with. But he's not a top 10 pick like some people were talking about for months on end. So I'm not stunned by that. If Ritter goes next, I'm not stunned by that either. Malik's got something to him, but I just, yeah, I always thought that was terribly overblown. And it's proven to be so because if there was any excuse 
that that dude was any good at all, he would have gone in the first round in this draft. The competition oh, right. at the yeah. position is nil. It's absolutely nil. Yeah, I, uh, I've i said I think Pickett's got a chance to be a plus player in the league. Uh, again, I'm not in love with him, but I think he's got a chance. I'm also very intrigued. You want to talk about the I have no idea quarterback in this draft? I, I have no idea. He could end up being a pro bowler, and we'd be talking about it years from now, like, huh, nobody really saw that coming. Or he could suck and be out of the league in three years. Matt Corral, and he'll get drafted today. He'll get drafted in the first two rounds. I mean, he's going to get drafted in the second round today. I, I think if he's sitting there when Atlanta drafts in the 40s, they'll take him. I mean, at some point, you got you got to do that, right? So, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't figure him out. There were days that I watched him play at Ole Miss, and I thought, oh, he's got all the throws. He's athletic. He can do a lot of things. And then other times, I'm like, eh, kind of pedestrian. You know, I don't know with him. I just I wouldn't even pretend to know with him. I have no idea. Yeah, I totally agree that he could be the guy five years from now. They're saying, what were they looking at? Matt Corral was clearly like, how did he go that late? Right. Because his best is is more consistently good than Malik Willis. Now, Malik Willis' best, again, the, the highlight throws are just breathtaking. But there were games, full games, really. That's the best dude in the field. That, that dude's electric. Uh, I agree with that. And if Atlanta took him, I'd be a little worried. I'd say, oh, man, that's, that's not a ter- It's worth taking a shot, too, nowadays. I mean, you see guys like Josh Rosen and others. After one year, I mean, Tua was borderline there, and, and they're sticking with him for one more season, but they're not as expensive as Sam Bradford used to be. You have to bring this up every year. It's not a five-year killer to your franchise to take a swing at a quarterback, especially outside of the first round. You can experiment for a year or two, and if you're wrong, so what? So, yeah, they, they should. If you're, you're an organization like the Falcons, it's a low-leverage chance, and if it works out, then you're still going to have a top-five pick next year that you can use on a different need instead of quarterback. Yeah, they pick at 43. A lot of the a quarterback is likely to go um with one of these first four picks uh in the second round. The Bucs have the first pick of the second round. They're either gonna take the defensive lineman out of Houston or maybe Nicobe Dean, uh, in all likelihood. Uh they could, I mean, as you noted, I think you're right. They, they could accrue more picks and 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 trade down. We'll see. Um I I kind of wanted to take Nicobe Dean or Logan Hall. So I, I hope they don't trade down because if they do, they, they risk losing both those guys. Um, and I want them to have one or the other. But somewhere around 35, the Titans may take Ryan Tannehill's replacement, right? He, that, that They're a team that could. Uh, and then when we get down, by the way, notice uh, the running backs have gone, right? Um, maybe. Yeah, I don't think one, I don't maybe, think so. one or none. One or none. Yeah, last night. Well, Brees Hall will go today, and he's really good. Yeah. Uh, I like Brees Hall a lot. Somebody will take him today, but that's interesting. And then finally, getting back to it, um, the Seahawks, we know, want to draft quarterbacks. So they draft at 40. Will they take Malik Willis? Will they take Matt Corral? Will they take Desmond Ritter? I don't know which of those will be available, but they're, they're, they're going to take a quarterback today. Yeah, again, uh, reiterating the same point, but if I'm a fan of those organizations and you draft a quarterback, like it, it's whatever. If it doesn't work out, the Bucks with Trask last year. Like, you know, he might, who knows, the, the preseason this year, maybe he'll play a little bit. You can see a little bit more. But if it works, great. If it doesn't, it, it's not a complete anchor around the organization. So if you're the Seahawks or the Falcons today or any other team that really, really needs a quarterback, take a shot. Take a shot in the 40s or the 70s. Who cares? Um, but you know, for the, the contenders today, Again, I'm just looking at, uh, at this point, Green Bay, I thought, had a decent night. 
last night, but I'm looking as a Bucks fan. I'm looking what the Rams are doing, uh, maybe an outside shot, what the 49ers are doing, if they can get Debo Samuel wrapped up and maybe they could put that issue to bed because he did not get traded yesterday. So I don't think it's going to happen if it didn't happen at by this point. Um, I, now I'm starting to look at how all of the other contenders, for one more ride with 12, how all the other contenders are building their empires and, and where they're getting better. And it's just amazing to me after another year, one in which Devontae Adams was traded to Las Vegas, that the Packers still are not drafting a receiver in the first round because they had multiple picks and there were so many good receivers in that round. How does that happen? It makes me smile because I love to think of the anger inside of Aaron Rodgers' heart. It makes me smile. By the way, Florida State taking on TCU, a team that comes into Tallahassee having won six of their last eight games, and some of those games in series are very impressive. TCU uh, beat number three, Oklahoma State. Uh, They also swept Tom, Texas Tech, who's a top-five team. Uh, So they come in here playing really, really well. Uh, They are very patient. Florida State is going to have to pitch well. Um, They do what Florida State used to do offensively. The Knowles used to draw uh, more walks, quite literally, more walks than any team in the country. And that put constant pressure on teams. It wasn't always pretty to watch. Uh, bats were long. They ended in strikeouts or walks, occasional home runs, those kinds of things. Now we don't walk all that much. We strike out a ton and we don't hit for power. It's a deadly trio. But that said, TCU does walk a lot. They're top 10 in the country. Now Florida State's got arms that throw strikes, so this something's got to give is my point. This will be very, very fascinating. But it's an important series for Florida State coming off the serious loss to Clemson. Clemson's not a real good baseball team, and Florida State is kicking themselves as they go into the weekend because the truth is they should have won those games, um, not just because they're the better team, but they were in position to win those games, and their bullpen failed them. So – Let's find out what happens this weekend. Um, there is a shakeup in the rotation. Bryce Hubbard, Carson Montgomery flipping the, the starting roles uh, to give Hubbard an extra day of rest. He was sick earlier in the week, so they want to give him that extra rest. So I'm intrigued by this weekend. I think it's an important weekend. I don't circle too many weekend series and say this is the one where they got to get right or this is where they better start showing me something. Sometimes you're up against it. Sometimes you worry. But but as baseball does, it reminds you that you can't sink too much emotion or draw any one conclusion from a weekend series, good or bad. Uh, we just watched a spate of baseball in which Florida State was really good prior to being that being really bad. So I don't want to say that, but I do think it's important from an RPI standpoint, if you want any chance at all to get on a run, and bully your way into that top eight. It's unlikely. It doesn't seem like to me they will, but they do have a shot if they were to sweep here and sweep again next weekend. You could you could find yourself in that situation, or if you win five out of six or something like that. You, you really could. Yeah, I think if you take two out of three from TCU and then two out of three from Miami in a couple weeks' time, I think that puts you in a serious conversation, as long as you yeah. don't fall on your face in the ACC tournament for a top eight seed. But they're up against it for a 16 right now to be a number 16. And if you lose two out of three to TCU, I mean, I'm going to rule out sweeping either way. But if you lose two out of three to TCU this weekend, now you have to beat Miami just to get back into the conversation for a top 16 seed, not a top eight. And TCU is a great RPI opportunity. Um, it's just 
I'm, I'm getting to the point this year where I'm very frustrated that we still are turning to Scalaro to close out games, and it drives me nuts. I think the answer as your closer is starting on Saturday. Now, if he has a good start, he's going to get another one. Maybe you can find a role for Ross Dunn. I don't know. but I just want to miss more bats in games like this. I want to know that I can miss bats down the stretch. So even if we're up a run late, I will not be satisfied or comfortable in the slightest. This game, you got to get that 27th out before I, I start to rest on my laurels, uh, short of it being 10 to nothing or something. Uh, but this is a huge weekend. Uh, and, and again, I, I think two out of those next three series with Miami and TCU, that's your path to getting back inside that conversation because, as we talked about midweek, the gap between number one and number three in the RPI, at least in Boyd's world, is, le- is bigger than the gap between number four and number 19. So all of these teams, and TCU is in that conversation now, all these teams are so close together you can be a, a separator in that argument if you take two out of three this weekend and you hold the fort down when Miami comes to town in two weeks. Florida State comes in at uh, the 19 spot if you trust Boyd's world, and I do because they get it right most of the time. Uh, they're at 19 in the RPI currently. They're behind Oregon, uh, as you noted. If you're going to look at the ratings points or anything like that, yep. Florida State is 0. 0.5888, uh, Oregon 0.589. Uh, tied with Wofford, of all teams, 0.89. You know, you, you go on down the list. So the point is, and there's Florida ahead of Florida State, but, yeah, it, it is incremental. Go all the way up to four. I mean, it's this close. It, it's like point yeah. zero four, whatever it is, the distance. So, again, these are critical Win games. Win some damn ball games. Win some damn yes. ball games, guys. This weekend and next. Do that. Take four of six. You're in good shape. Come back, wrap it up momentarily. Jeff Cambridge, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. <laughs> Camera Show 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV, Libations Friday. What a fun, loosey-goosey, post-draft, pre, all the names are in the transfer portal box that you need to know, all that kind of day on the show. Uh, and and hey, for, for good reason. Uh, we love the draft, and we love uh, the fact that it leads right into what is now uh, probably the most interesting time for Florida State uh, recruiting that you're going to have um, because these transfer portal guys matter greatly. I don't know. Maybe we get uh, maybe we get some big names coming here next week, Tom. I know we're going to be apprehensive to uh, to touch on them right away. We're all going to be like, maybe, maybe. That's how we're going to phrase everything. You guys will be annoyed. Like a kid's going to be wearing a Florida State hat with a Florida State shirt on, hugging Mike Norvell in a picture from campus by his locker with the name on it. And I'm going to go. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, also for somebody like Michael. Um, you know, it's not just the coaches that have to work a lot differently than than in the past, and a lot more. <laughs> so it'll be like, hey, Michael, is this guy getting on a plane and visiting? Because that's what it all comes down to. Once yeah. these games are are there, 
you're going to see if it's a player of interest to Florida State, you can just go to their Twitter profile and see if our coaches are following him because that tells you that the conversation has begun officially. There's been a reach out. But then it's, is the guy going to get in a car and drive here or get in a plane and come down yeah, here? Plane. That's what the next two weeks are going to be all about when it comes to Florida State football talk is, we like this kid. Well, too bad. He's going to Knoxville. He's not visiting Tallahassee. He hasn't made a decision yet, but there's no plans for him to visit Tallahassee. Get ready for all those conversations. It's like, you know, the stuff that we talk about in, in November and December for on-campus visits. Who gets right. the last visit? Well, that's, that's about to get fired up again because people know coaches are desperate. I can save my program by, you know, hitting a home run with two or three kids. That'll push me over that bowl eligibility or eight-win threshold. So it's about to get hot and heavy here once again. It matters, and we will discuss it, talk about it, focus on it, and do everything that is required of us to obviously uh, provide the, the information that you want. But I'm going to tell you my perspective on this is that while I'm watching and I know the importance that these kids represent uh, to flipping a roster or, or, or kind of fulfilling uh, a roster, Nobody that's going to put their name in the portal that we are going to bring in is going to be as impactful as Mims would have been. And that's just the reality. Like, that's one final kick to the cojones there. Sorry. (laughs) I just saw the graphic, yeah. Nobody is going to be as impactful as he would have been. So because of that, forgive me if I'm like, you guys have the conversation. I mean, I'm going to have the conversation, but you guys, <laughs> you guys have the conversation. I mean. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll go back to, I'm, I'm going to live in an alternate timeline where, where that whole thing didn't, didn't happen. Didn't break my heart um, because a good guard can really change what this offensive line looks like. I know that a tackle is preferable, and it, and it would have been wonderful. Oh, yes. Wonderful. Yes, it would have. Yes. You know, people love to talk about multiverses now in these comic book movies. That's a fun multiverse. It would be mm-hmm. fun to live in that one. Mm-hmm. But if you get a good guard in here, you're solidified in your front Give me an line. offensive lineman, any good one. I don't care what they play. I agree. Yep. Give me a good center. I'm all right with that, too. I, I have my, I'm getting worried about Caden. yeah well that's you know what Uh, of all the players that we know about now so maybe there'll be some new additions and everybody wants to you know the new Mm -hmm. shiny car but of the players that we know of that are on the team right now i can't think of one or two players that i want to see more than Caden lyles in fall camp to be able to understand what's the deal here like is this guy going to be the guy or not and um it's going to be a critical, like, I guess camp will start maybe late July, early, just, you know, August 1st mm-hmm. or something, because the 27th being the first game. But by the time we get to August 10th, we're going to know. And I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm very nervous. That's why I said, give me any offensive lineman, multiple offensive linemen. Let's go ahead and throw some numbers at this problem. Our friends at North Florida Payroll Services, it's time to queue it up, Matthew. Let's make this thing happen. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get to it. Tip the cap. It's time to talk some baseball with probables. It's time for, how you say, with the pitching, uh, probables? Padres, Pirates, Hugh Darvish, Zach Thomas, Thompson. Uh, Tom and I were in the car yesterday when the Pirates blew it in the ninth. And Tom, was, and, Tom, and Tom was trying to be nice by keeping the game on for me. And as soon as they announced uh, who was coming in for the Pirates, which was not David Bednar, who is our closer, I said to Tom, well, we're, we're going to blow this. And 
you know, not that you ever doubted, but you knew I knew my team. And yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's akin to the the tone in your voice that I heard was me when for like five years and they re-signed him when Jerry's familiar. Oh, just. And instead of a hit, it's like here comes a four pitch walk, and then he's gonna you know ball one, ball two. Here comes the mound visit, and he's gonna look like he's just working on his mechanics and. That's what you were squirming in your seat doing. And then your radio announcer yesterday said uh, you hadn't given up multiple hits, given up multiple hits in an inning all day long. I yelled at the radio. <laughs> what are you doing? It was three singles in a row. That's what happened next. Oh, I was like, well, this is over. And they were all very hard hit singles, I might add. They weren't little bloops. They were. Well. You could tell on the radio. You know, <laughs> you could tell on the. If it makes the radio, that means that they hit the hell out of the ball. And those well, sounded well, like. Yeah, well struck. Uh, Mariners, Marlins, Matt Brash, Elsier Hernandez, Red Sox, Orioles, Rich Hill, and TBD. We don't get too many TBDs these days. Astros, Blue Jays, Jose Urquidy, uh, UC Kikuchi, Twins, Rays, Dylan Bundy, Corey Kluber, Phillies and Mets. Ah, oh, you and Director Matthew get to get after it this weekend. Aaron Noah and Tyler McGill. So they uh, play... 13 times before the end of May. It's wow. crazy. Yeah. Uh, a little bit going. Angels, White Sox, Noah Syndergaard. It seems weird to say that out loud. By the way, Noah Syndergaard, Tom, 2-0 with a 2-1-2 so far for the Angels. <laughs> there you go. That's what I think of you, Noah. Oh, <laughs> uh, That made me laugh. I saw those numbers. I was like, oh, he's going to be pissed. Lucas Giolito, pitcher for the White Sox. Braves, Rangers, Ian Anderson, and Garrett Richardson. Uh, Yankees, Royals, we got Nestor Cortez and Chris Bubik. Cubs, Brewers, Kyle Hendricks and Adrian Hauser. D-backs, Cardinals, Madison Bumgarner, Adam Wainwright. Reds, Rockies, Hunter Green, Antonio Cinzanella. Uh, Guardians, Athletics, Aaron Sabale and Frankie Montas. Tigers, Dodgers, Tyler Alexander, Tyler Anderson. And finally, Nats, Giants, late night, Aaron Sanchez, Alex Wood. And that is a look at those that shall reside on the bump. That is it. That is all. Go Knowles over the weekend and some baseball and softball and all that good stuff. Good work out of you, Tommy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Good work out of you, Director Matthew. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. Looking forward to it. Take care.